There's an old Bengali saying that knowledge is a very special commodity. The more you give away, the more you have left. Imparting education not only enlightens the receiver, but also broadens the giver, the teachers, the parents, the friends. Basic education is a truly social good, which people can share and from which they can jointly benefit without having to snatch it from others. This old insight is worth recollecting on this wonderful occasion, the celebration of the International Literacy Day. And of course, I feel personally much privileged to be able on this occasion to speak to you all today with UNESCO's help as we gather in different places in the world, joining each other in affirming our global commitment to universal schooling. When H.G. Wells said in his outline of history, human history becomes more and more a race between education and catastrophe, he was not exaggerating. If we continue to neglect basic education, we shall not be able to overcome the tremendous problems that our precarious world faces, nor avoid potential catastrophes which are now even more plentifully present than they were in H.U.L.'s time. Since the terrible events of the 11th of September last year and what followed after that, the world has been very aware of the problems of insecurity. But insecurity comes in many different ways, not just through terrorism and violence. It is remarkable that for nearly every kind of human insecurity, education can have a preventive role, a constructive contribution to make. While the war against terrorism is fought across the world, it is extremely important not to overlook the multidimensional nature of human insecurity and the variety of different ways in which the lives of vulnerable people across the globe tend to be threatened and made deeply insecure. The first and perhaps the most basic issue relates to the fact that illiteracy and innumeracy are forms of insecurity in themselves. Not to be able to read or write or count or communicate is itself a tremendous deprivation. And if a person is thus reduced by illiteracy or innumeracy, we can not only see that the person is insecure to whom something terrible could happen, but more immediately that to him or her something terrible has actually happened. The extreme case of insecurity is the certainty of deprivation and the absence of any chance of avoiding that fate. The basic deprivation of illiteracy and innumeracy is thus an extreme case of insecurity. Second, basic education can be very important in helping people to do, to get jobs, to have gainful employment, and to be economically active. This connection, while always present, is particularly critical now in a rapidly globalizing world in which quality control and production according to specification can be crucial. Any country that neglects basic education 
tends to doom its illiterate people to inadequate, inadequate access to the opportunities of global commerce. A person who cannot read instructions, understand the demands of accuracy, and follow the demands of specification is at a greater disadvantage in getting a job in today's globalizing world. Not surprisingly, all the cases of successful use of the opportunities of global commerce for the reduction of poverty have involved the root of basic education on a wide basis. In fact, already in mid-19th century, the task was seen with remarkable clarity in Japan. The fundamental code of education issued in 1872, shortly after the Meiji Restoration in 1868, expressed the public commitment to make sure that there must be, I quote from the code, no community with an illiterate family, nor a family with an illiterate person, unquote. Kido Takayoshi, one of the leaders of Japanese reform, explained the basic idea thus, I quote from him, our people, that is the Japanese, are no different from the Americans and Europeans of today. It is all a matter of education or lack of education, unquote. Thus began, in mid-19th century, Japan's remarkable attempt at catching up with the West. By 1910, Japan was almost fully literate, at least for the young. And by 1913, though still very much poorer than Britain or America, Japan was publishing more books than Britain and more than twice as many books as the United States. The concentration on education determined to a large extent the nature and speed of Japan's economic and social progress. Later on, China, Taiwan, South Korea, and other economies in East and Southeast Asia followed similar routes and firmly focused on basic education. In explaining their rapid economic progress, their willingness to make good use of the global market economy is often praised, and rightly so. But the process was greatly helped by the achievement of these countries in basic education. Widespread participation in a global economy would have been hard to accomplish if people could not read or write or produce according to specifications or instructions. Third, when people are illiterate, their ability to understand and invoke their legal rights can be extremely limited. This can be a severe handicap for those whose rights are violated by others, and it tends to be a persistent problem for people at the bottom of the ladder, whose rights are often effectively alienated because of their inability to read and see what they are entitled to demand and how to demand it. This is a particularly important issue for women's security, since women are often deprived of their due thanks to illiteracy. Indeed, not being able to read or write is a significant barrier for underprivileged women, since this can lead to their failure to make use even of the rather limited rights that they may legally have, say to their own land, to other property, or to appeal against unfair judgment or unjust treatment. There are often legal rights in rule books that are not used, 
because the aggrieved parties cannot read those rule books. Fourth, illiteracy can also muffle the political opportunities of the underdog by reducing their ability to participate in the political arena and to express their demands effectively. This can contribute directly to their insecurity since the absence of voice in politics can entail a severe reduction of influence and the likelihood of just treatment. The connection between voice and security can well be very powerful, and perhaps I should scrutinize this connection a little here. The observed fact that famines do not occur in democracies, which has been widely commented on, including by myself, is just one illustration of the effectiveness of political voice and participation. It is remarkable that in the long history of famines in the world, there have never been a famine in a democratic country which gives political voice to all. This is not really surprising, since elections are hard to win after a famine if elections are held, and stinging criticisms of the government for its failure to prevent a famine are hard to answer uh, if criticisms are politically permitted rather than being censored out and if a free, free press exists. These recognitions force the ruling government in democracies with elections, free press, etc., to act quickly and effectively to prevent famines. Famines have thus never occurred in democracies, even in very poor ones, but have taken place when a free political voice is suppressed. For example, under colonial rule, whether overtly, as in British India, or implicitly, as in Ireland of the 1840s, or under one-party authoritarian systems, as in the Soviet Union in the 1930s, or in China during 1958 to 61, or in Cambodia in 1970s, or in North, North Korea right now, or under military rule, as in Ethiopia or Somalia or Sudan in recent de decades. Political voice makes the prevention of famine a public policy imperative. Fifth, empirical work in recent years has brought out very clearly how the relative regard and respect for women's well-being is very strongly influenced by such variables as women's ability to earn an independent income, to find employment outside the home, to have ownership rights, and to have literacy and be educated participants in decisions within the family and outside it. Indeed, even the survival disadvantage of women compared with men in many developing countries, which lead to such terrible phenomenon as tens of millions of quote-unquote missing women, much discussed in the recent demographic literature, seems to go down sharply and may even get eliminated with progress in women's empowerment, for which female literacy is a very basic ingredient. In fact, these different factors, such as female, female literacy and education, women's earning power, their economic role outside the family, women's property rights, and so on, may at first sight appear to be rather diverse and disparate influences that somehow work together. But what they all have in common is their positive contribution to women's voice and agency through greater independence and empowerment of women. 
The diverse variables which have emerged from statistical studies across the world as being favorable to women's security, such as female literacy, female economic opportunity, etc., that thus can be seen to be part and parcel of a unified, empowering role. Women's power, economic independence, as well as so social emancipation, can have far-reaching impacts on the forces and organizing principles that govern decisions within the family. There's also much evidence that women's education and literacy tend to reduce the mortality rates of children. The influence works through many channels, but perhaps most immediately, it works through the importance that mothers typically attach to the welfare of the children and the opportunity they have when their agency is respected and empowered to influence family decisions in that direction. These connections between basic education of women and the power of women's agency are quite central to understanding the contribution of school education to human security in general. Indeed, the nature of education is quite central to peace in the world. Recently, the perspective of quote-unquote clash of civilization, promoted by a great many commentators, has gained much currency. And what is most immediately divisive in this outlook is not the idea of the inevitability of a clash, that too, but it comes later, but the prior, the immediate insistence on seeing human beings in terms of one dimension only, just as a member of one civilization or another. To see people in terms of this allegedly preeminent and all-engulfing classification of civilizations can itself contribute to political insecurity, since in this view people are seen simply as belonging to, say, the Muslim world, or the Western world, or the Hindu world, or the Buddhist world, and so on. As it happens, every human being has many identities related to nationality, language, location, class, religion, occupation, political beliefs, and so on. To ignore everything other than some single, allegedly profound way of classifying people is to set them up into warring camps. The best hope for peace in the world lies in the simple but far-reaching recognition that we all have many different associations, many distinct affiliations, and we need not see ourselves as being rigidly divided by a single categorization of hardened groups which confront each other. While we celebrate the power of literacy in, on, this, on this wonderful day, we have reason to think also about the content of education and the way literacy can facilitate rather than endanger peace and security. The importance of non-sectarian and non-parochial curricula that expand rather than reduce the reach of reason can be hard to exaggerate. To conclude, we must go on fighting for basic education for all, but also emphasize the importance of the content of education. We have to make sure that sectarian schooling does not convert education into a prison, rather than being a passport 
to the wide world as it is meant to be. Education can be a great liberator of the human mind, with many indirect benefits, economic, political and social, which I have tried to discuss briefly here. On this wonderful occasion of the International Literacy Day, I end by reaffirming our joint commitment to work for basic education for all and the critical importance of freedom from illiteracy and innumeracy. I feel very privileged to have had the chance of joining others on this extremely important work in which we are all united. Thank you very much for joining me today. <laughs>